After a long investigation, after so many people have been so badly hurt, after not looking at the other side, where a lot of bad things happened, a lot of horrible things happened, a lot of very bad things happened for our country, it was just announced there was no collusion with Russia, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There was no collusion with Russia. There was no obstruction. It was a complete and total exoneration. It's a shame that our country had to go through this. To be honest, it's a shame that your president has had to go through this for before I even got elected. It began. And it began illegally. And hopefully somebody's going to look at the other side. This was an illegal takedown that failed. No collusion, no obstruction. Thank you very much. Thank you. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't die. Welcome in. I'm a liar, liar, pants on fire. I said there would only be one March show, and that's clearly not true. This will be the second show in March. It is the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone On Air podcast, the not-so-weekly dose as of late. It is March 29th, 2019. Where is the year going? It's flying on by. As I always say, time flies and it ain't got a thing to do with whether you're having any fun or not. So on the front end, there's Trump, of course, Don Trump, our president of the United States of America. Um, Complete exoneration. No obstruction. Complete exoneration. Yet there's been charges and arrest and prison uh, jail time prison time been dished out to the Coens and the Manaforts and the whoever the hell else um, but he's absolutely positively right about one thing and I've been saying this for a long time and my super uh, ultra left liberal friends don't like to hear this uh, th- it is one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard that Don Trump just said that he's ever heard that he colluded with Russia to win the presidency. That is asinine, absolutely asinine. And anybody who believes that is just so drunk off whatever punch that they've been fed for the however long since, since before the election, potentially. There is not a chance, not a damn single chance that Don Trump or any of his his minions had any kind of, of strategic power to collude with Russia. It's just plain ridiculous to think that that would ever be true. And for it to come across as that's what the Democrats are trying to push or that's what the the, the grand conspiracy is makes the Democrats and the left look stupid. And then just arguing that is just ridiculous. 
Is Russia meddling in our elections? Oh, hell yes, they are. Hell yes, they are. Has Russia been trying to get into our good life in every aspect they can, uh, taking advantage of the technology that generally we invent and the technology that we create? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For 75 plus years, they've been doing that. I'm, I'm probably longer. I'm just making up numbers. Since World War II, anyway, you know, or post-World War II uh, foreign affairs that we've had, yeah, of course they are. Is, is there a lot to be afraid of with the, uh, the, the proximity of the Middle East and Russia and the, and the incredible you know evil that is on that side of the world here? Damn right there is. Absolutely there is. Is Don Trump and Putin working together to get him <laughs> elected? What the hell? Who comes up with this nonsense? Don Trump is a very, very rich, wealthy, entertaining uh, white American male. That's all he is. Very, very rich, bombastic. He's a demagogue, and he is uh, an entertainer, and he knows how to play to his audience. That's what he does well in life. Nothing else in his life does he do very well. He really doesn't. He's bankrupt so many things. He's had so many product lines that have fallen flat. When you have as much money as this guy has had his whole life, you can buy yourself out of your bad decisions. If you can outspend your your dumbness, then you're then you know then good for you. That doesn't make you smart. That doesn't make you intelligent. That doesn't make you any kind of intelligently superior being to anybody else. Unless we forget towards the tail end of the campaign in the middle to the end of 16, all Don Trump was doing was planting all the seeds for when he lost to blame Russia and everybody else for his loss. This is dumb. This is dumb. Now, do we need to continue probes and investigations into the way that the Russians and other uh, cyber terrorists around the world are taking our, you know, our technology and turning it against us. Yeah, we should put every single ounce of our energy into uh, into sniffing and snuffing that out because that's the next big thing. Why fly planes into buildings? Why spend millions and, and tens of millions and years of training to blow up a couple of airplanes and kill a couple thousand people? We've clearly realized in this country we don't really give a damn about people dying. People dying on the other side of the country doesn't mean anything to us anymore. And the terrorists are figuring that out. Why do you think ISIS has just kind of died off? Because we don't really care about cutting people's heads off we've never heard of out in the Middle East. We care for about five seconds, but no longer than that. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't make any kind of real terrorist threat progress. You know what's going to make progress? Melting down the financial banking system in this country, the cryptocurrency of this country, the blockchain technology and, and finding out how you can get in and, 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 just, and corrupt and destroy that. Melting down our, our infrastructure, our grids, our gigs. That's the way you destroy Americans' good life. So, yeah, put every ounce of, uh, of cyber terror intel in there that you can. But, uh, you know, no, Trump's not colluding. With Russia. Jesus Christ. Who, who is making this crap up and who's believing it is more important. All right, there we go. Enough on that. I wasn't planning on spending as much time as I did on that. I have the first segment here, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. It's going to be a four-segment show. So in the second segment of the show, uh, there's this. it's not a new podcast, but it's a new season of a podcast called Slow Burn. The first uh, season was a look at uh, Watergate and, uh, and the Nixon presidency. The second season is about the Clinton and Lewinsky uh, scandal and all the things that go around that. It's very in-depth. It's very comprehensive. It is so, so good. I'm going to play some clips from it, and I urge you to listen to this eight-part. I think they're about 45 minutes to an hour long each. 
eight episodes. Um, and what you really start to see is, is that what we're seeing now was starting in the 1990s. We had a 10-year gap where we had the war in Iraq and 9-11 and everybody was confused of what they were or were not mad about. Uh, fake outrage wasn't as bad as it used to be. It used to be more real outrage. But when it came to the internet and connectivity and sp- certainly social media, we still were way behind in the first decade of the 21st century. The second decade of the 21st century is when everybody's become plugged in and you're starting to see the things that were starting in the 1990s really start to uh, to, to, to be on on steroids, if you will, here in the second decade of the of the of uh, the 21st century, and I'll get into more of that later. And really, it defined the 90s defined the way we've been living the last five to ten years. In the third segment of the show, I'm getting a new phone. Finally, I've been talking about this for a while. This thing literally, basically, doesn't work anymore. I can almost get it to send some text messages. My social media gets locked up almost every time I turn it on. This weekend, I'm getting a new phone, so it's time to clear out all the old voicemails. And so we'll go down a trip into Brian's voicemails of the last, I don't know, couple of years. It's about 15 of them. And in the fourth segment, Brent Cobb is a uh, alt-country, country rock kind of, uh, and then sometimes just straight-up country Americana artist out of Nashville. I guess it kind of depends on who you ask, what you classify him as. I'm a fan. He joined me in studio at the radio station earlier in the week, and in the fourth segment will be that conversation in its entirety, along with a live performance. So there you go. Laid it out real quickly here just to kind of bounce around with a couple of things. Baseball is back. I am so happy about that. Um, but I saw this, thanks to Nathan Gale who posted it. It's from a couple years ago. But I love, 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 love satire and, and, and fake news that we all clearly acknowledge right off the bat is fake, like The Onion and the Chattanooga Bystander and things like that. Nation already sick of baseball. Washington, with the MLB season not even a week old, millions of weary Americans across the country confirmed Wednesday that they were already sick of baseball. Quote, three innings into opening day, and I was completely bored to death, said 36-year-old Michael Simpkins, echoing the sentiment of the entire U.S. populace while expressing that he could not wait for the tedious MLB season to end. Quote, I was sort of excited before the game, but once they started playing, I immediately realized that I couldn't take one more second of this unwatchable shit. At press time, the nation was reportedly reading articles on the NFL draft and asked reporters to let them know who won the World Series. I get why people think that. I get why people hate baseball. I love it, and I'm so happy that April is almost here. My favorite One of two, 1A and 1B favorite months of the year, April and June. I finally did it. I finally did it. I finally got rid of cable, and it has been very, very difficult. It's like getting rid of a drug habit. It really really is. The last two weeks, I have been struggling when I get home to figure out what to do next. Like, I can't turn on just random crap on TV. I mean, I've got Netflix and Hulu and all these other things that I get from my girlfriend, Brittany. She hooks me up on all that. But I don't. that's not how I watch TV. I don't, I don't go look around on Hulu and just try to find something. I put on the tube, and I watch cable TV. Now, I know I need to break that habit, and I'm trying to. But it is very, very difficult. Uh, I'm in uh, almost two full weeks without cable. Uh, I'll do another show on Woodstock 99 probably later in the summer. I've done them in the past. I can't remember how much I go into it at times, but the Woodstock 50 announcement 
came out in the last week, and they're in, in true Woodstock form and fashion. They have been scattered since day one about what they were or were not going to do with this festival up in New York. First, they were going to do it. Then they weren't. Then they were going to put it at the original site. Then they were not. Then they were just going to do a series of concerts. Then now, boom, this massive uh, three-day festival uh, lineup announcement, which is as big and as 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 star-studded as any festival in the country. It's going to be taking place at Watkins Glen. I guess isn't that where the racetrack is for NASCAR? I don't quite remember, but uh, just to name a few here, uh, August 16th, 17th, and 18th, The Killers, Miley Cyrus, Santana, The Lumineers, Tours, Robert Plant, John Fogarty, The Head and the Heart, Dead and Company, Chance the Rapper, Black Keys, Sturgill Simpson, Greta Van Fleet's Punk Asses, uh, Portugal the Man, Leon Bridges, David Crosby and Friends, Jade Bird, Country Joe McDonald, which was an original from 1969, The Imagine Dragons, Cage the Elephant, Brandy Carlisle, Young the Giant, Courtney Barnett, Judah and the Lion, Canned Heat, who played at the original. I mean, this is ridiculously awesome, and I have to go, I want to go, but I can't go. It's just uh, announced too late in the year. That's only, what, we're the third month? That's five months away. And I'm sure it's obscenely priced, and I probably can't get comps. So that is uh, going to be probably a no-go for me. But then I saw this posted on my one of my social medias. Woodstock 50, three days of sweat, sadness, and regret. Day one, Miley Cyrus, question mark. Listed before Santana, question mark. Dads everywhere. Sweaty balls. Overpriced beer. Robert Plant regrets turning down the original Woodstock, but will regret playing this one even more. A bunch of bands they only play on Sirius XMU, Akon LOL, girls who think this is where the original Woodstock took place, and too many selfies. On day two, a Dead and Company set even more disappointing than the original Woodstock Dead set, which the Dead has always famously said their worst show they ever played was the original Woodstock. Uh, Vegan Buddha Bowls, Vendors selling shit from India for a 700% markup. One quarter of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Jewel pods. Not nearly enough drugs. Sweltering hot porta potties filled to the brim with shit. <laughs> and the final day of Woodstock. Three days of sweat, sadness, and regret. Fish fans making curveball jokes. Brown acid, for old time's sake. Too many children. Grateful Dead Chacos. Plenty of parking. Not enough shade. Heat stroke body odor, and other offensive smells, an overwhelming sense of regret. Who the fuck are all these people? Oh, yeah, and Jay-Z. And there you go for a little fun there. So uh, I'm going to get out of here quickly and get into the second segment of the show. After I tell you about last week, I went to Murphy, North Carolina with my girlfriend and her kids. And these days, you know, Airbnb... We all know you can get, you can stay in somebody's house and in a spare room. You can get, uh, there's a lot of, now there's investments in properties that are just for Airbnb that no one ever lives there. They're just to be rented out. And um, I guess those are the two main ways that I've used them before. Well, nowadays you can use Airbnb and then there's these other um, abbreviations for other companies that do similar kind of thing, vacation style things, where you rent or buy experiences. Um, You can rent to use somebody's property to camp on or uh, fishing or uh, I don't know, a whole bunch of different things. I don't know. I've not spent a lot of time looking at it. But in this case, we, uh, and it wasn't my idea. I just went along because I was like, okay, that sounds pretty interesting. It's spring break. It's very nice. It's very cold at night, but very nice out. And we went to Murphy and it was a tree house, quite literally a tree house in um, somebody's uh, property. 
They also had several other rentals there. You could uh, you could rent out the whole area. You could have an indoor place and the outdoor place. We were strictly outdoor. And so we were camping on somebody's property with a tree house <clears throat> up on a hill with a big slide that went down it, a, a, a little small zip line, a rope swing, which was pretty darn cool and scary as hell, too. That slip zip line was a little uh, not exactly my uh, comfort zone either. Uh, a couple of different slides coming off of it, three, uh, two bunks, and then a uh, pull-out cot. It was uh, a really neat. I mean, adults could have you know fit in this this quote unquote treehouse. It was very cool. A couple of hammocks out there, big fire pit, uh, cooked food. Sat around the fire, drinking all night long because it was freezing, twenty seven degrees. I think was the low, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So I would suggest doing something like that. Looking into not necessarily just staying, certainly not in a hotel, or not necessarily staying in just a random property. Look into different kinds of experiences that you can rent or buy. Uh, because that's really where we, I think, you know, the millennials, and certainly they're teaching their kids, which are, I don't know what you call the next generation, the I generation or something like that, or I gen. Um, I don't know. I've just read that somewhere. The idea of experiences is so far more uh, appreciated these days than just material garbage, just material junk. Hey, here's a bunch of stupid crap. You know, I mean, little tiny kids don't know any better, but once they start getting a little older, doing things that are memorable and fun. Uh, is in my mind is always going to be uh, cooler than just uh, random junk. So check that out next time you're looking for any kind of quick getaway or a long and, and far away getaway, whatever that might be. All right, I'm going to step out here right now, get right back to it. This podcast I've been listening to, I haven't quite finished it yet. I have about half of the final episode. It is incredible, and it'll make you look at the Clintons differently, and it'll really show you that the way people are starting to react to things was drastically changing from what back then was the norm it's kind of more similar to now than you'd think. I'll get to that coming up next on the Stone On Air podcast. It is the not-so-weekly dose for the final Friday in March. It is the 29th. My name is Brian Stone, and I will be right back. Now back to more Stone On Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. StoneOnAir.com The notion that Clinton had been romantically involved with a former White House intern first appeared on a fledgling website called The Drudge Report. The site's proprietor, Matt Drudge, had received the tip that editors at Newsweek were sitting on a story about Clinton's affair. Drudge published the allegation in the middle of the night on Sunday, January 18th. Drudge's post didn't make it into the mainstream media for three full days. When it finally did, by way of a front-page story in the Washington Post, it was a lot for people to take in. The unexpected reports of a new sex scandal involving President Clinton. Bombshell allegations that he had a sexual affair with a former White House intern. The Lewinsky story sent a chill through the White House, as Clinton staffers who had grown accustomed to scandal wondered amongst themselves if this one was for real. You know, and I was wondering, you know, what Clinton might do, what he might say. And this guy said to me, like, don't you get it? Gore's going to be president by Friday. There's no way Clinton survives this week. Of course, the campaign song for Bill Clinton back in 1992. Welcome back to the show. I, for the longest time, my entire life, really, um, I've always been very fond of presidential history. I remember when I went to Plains, Georgia in, um, hell, I don't know how long ago that was. I might have been 10, so I guess that would have been 90, 89, 90, 91, somewhere in there. And Jimmy Carter was speaking at a local church, and then we uh, I've done a podcast about it, how I, my dad arranged for me to be sitting at the table 
with uh, Rosalind Carter and uh, is it Rosalind or Rosalind? I can't remember. Anyway, his wife and him sat right across the table from him. And just being in that town with all that presidential history, the 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 it's not museums necessarily, but they have lots of stores with lots of the presidential swag, which I collect, buttons, stickers, those kinds of things. They're all littered all over my house. And good, bad, or indifferent, I've always been really, really into uh, presidential history until now all of a sudden. Now I don't hardly care at all anymore. But what I've noticed is the more that I pay attention to a lot of presidents, the more I realize how much I like them, especially since I've been alive. Uh, Ronald Reagan is one that I, I don't think my feelings ever changed all that much. I was awfully young when he was president, so it's hard to really compare that. George H.W., I have more respect for the more I know for know about. The entire Bush family, the more uh, respect I have, the more I understand and, and figure out what this family was all about. Growing up and being a young person, like all oh, those rich, greedy, oil, you know, tycoon uh, Bush family, screw them, right? That's not, you know, that that's, that's just... Some of that can be true, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, but I don't look at it that way anymore. And the, one of the most fascinating presidents and people in just modern history is George W. Bush. The more I know about George W. Bush, the more I'm fascinated with the man and the more that I like him. And I find that to be true. The Jimmy Carter, again, same deal. The more I know, the more I like. What I'm finding out after listening to this podcast and a few other things I've looked at over the years, the more I find out about the Clintons, the less I like about this family. You know, sometimes you got to figure out what it is you, you is or isn't true. Sometimes this stuff is hearsay in podcast form and, and in things you're reading online and blogs and stuff. Certainly, not, it's certainly not all true. Uh, we all have figured that out the hard way. But it is, uh, it is remarkable, a man and a family and a decade and an era that I have been just in love with, the more I find out, the less respect I have, and the less admiration I have for these these people. And this podcast has been incredible. It's called, uh, why am I blanking? It is called Slow Burn. It was a Watergate uh, first season, which doesn't interest me as much because not being alive then, there's so many intricate parts of the story that don't mean a lot to me. So I just kind of skimmed through it. The second season is the Clinton-Lewinsky uh, affair, but it's so much more deeper than that. It is uh, probably pretty close to eight hours. I can't remember how long each episode is, but it's eight episodes, so we'll call it around seven hours. I think they're 45 to 55 minutes or so, and it is fascinating. I'm going to play some clips from it, and a, a lot of it really kind of starts to set the groundwork to where we are at right now because technology was really starting to take off in the 1990s. Now, technology has been taking off our entire lives since you know post-World War II, but sometimes as an average just consumer, you know, regular person walking around in the 50s or even in the 70s and 80s, you know, you can't feel that technology taking over the same way because it's done more from a macro kind of thing. The technology is building the the the, the aircrafts that are going up to to space are getting bigger and better, but your everyday average stuff isn't rapidly becoming sophisticated like it did towards the 90s and like it has done the last 20 or 30 years. And the stretch between 2001 and 2008 or 9 was such a polarizing time because of 9-11 and so many different kinds of uh, ideological warfare that it's a little different right in there. The groundwork that was set for the way people's minds would start to work now started in the 1990s from, from OJ, from the L.A. riots, from the, uh, from the Rodney King, which is part of the L.A. riots thing, 
to, uh, to, to, to reality TV, to the way we consume uh, uh, media and all forms of entertainment. And it is coming to a head now. And a lot of the scandalous, salacious nature of things that was going on then is going on even more now. And uh, it's just an interesting way to kind of look back at it. So let's take a look. I got uh, eight clips from one episode. It is an episode based most, mostly around religion. Each one has a, uh, a a title and kind of an overall theme. And this thing gets very comprehensive, but never boring. Not boring comprehensive. Fascinating comprehensive. And this is the first clip. This is early on. It's just a regular photo uh, presser, photo op, uh, talking education for children. Al Gore is there. Hillary Clinton is there. Bill is there unannounced. And it's just supposed to be a throwaway thing just to get some good pictures. And then Bill goes and drops this bombshell. Gore spoke about after-school care, and it was fine. This morning's announcement should be seen in the context of how we prepare the children in this country to succeed in the 21st century. And the First Lady spoke, and same thing. This morning we come together to hear about the President's plans to strengthen education. And then President Clinton got up and... He gave another fairly, you know, mundane speech about after-school care and education, and you could have slept through the whole thing. And then at the very end of the president's remarks, he said, Now, I have to go back to work on my State of the Union speech, but I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Miss Lewinsky, I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. Thank you. And so that was shortly after the first The Drudge Report came out, which nobody was paying attention to the Internet back then. And then The Washington Post, I believe, was the next to put it out there. And just out of nowhere, how slick, slick Willie, right? Just out of nowhere, against probably everybody's better judgment and orders, he says, you know what, I'm just going to get out right in front of this. And I bet that buried everybody spending much time on it because why would he bring it up if he didn't have to? He wasn't even being asked about it. That is slick willy for you. In the 1990s, the Christian right mixing into the politics really started to become a thing. He has scandal after scandal that should disqualify him from being the occupant of the Oval Office. Mr. President, you are responsible for bringing shame upon a great institution. And we, the people of the United States of America, will hold you accountable. In the weeks and months that followed, some of the most withering criticism that Clinton took came from a coalition of conservative activists whose political views were bound up with their faith. The influence of the Christian right within the Republican Party had been growing steadily since the Reagan years. When the Lewinsky story broke, some of the movement's leaders pounced on it with righteous vigor. Here's John Ashcroft, a Christian conservative who in 1998 was a senator from Missouri. Leaders who suggest that they can separate their private lives and their public actions are wrong. Morality is not divisible. It is not divisible by any man. It is not divisible by any president. Such a different time back then, but in some ways very, very similar to the the things we deal with today. Kind of, sort of, not really, actually. This guy's name is Bill Bennett. He was basically a moral crusader. He went on to write the book The Death of Outrage, Bill Clinton and the Assault on American Ideals in 1998. 
In the 1990s, Bill Bennett was basically a professional moral crusader. Earlier in his career, he had served as Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan and drug czar under George H.W. Bush. But after hitting it big in 1993 with the Book of Virtues, an anthology aimed at teaching moral principles to children, the devout Catholic became something in between a preacher and a political pundit. You can't invent a new color and you can't invent a new virtue. There either is courage and fidelity to task and responsibility, or there isn't. These are the things by means of which we keep society together. One of the worst things we do in this society is we destroy the innocence of the young before their time. We have done it through TV. We've done it through the movies. We've done it through the popular culture. We're now doing it through our politics. And now all I got to do is just tack on the Internet and social media. And we are eerily similar to those same kind of talking points now. And while I despise this man, and I'll tell you more why later, I don't disagree with what he just said. Steve Kornacki says the Christian right has reached its political full maturation. The entire Christian conservative movement was invigorated, if alarmed, by Clinton's pro-choice, gay-friendly agenda. With Clinton in the White House, Christian activists like Pat Robertson and James Dobson were able to consolidate their hold on the grassroots of the Republican Party. Here's journalist Steve Kornacki, who writes about the Christian right in his new book about the rise of political tribalism. Basically, the story of the 1990s is, in part, at least in Republican politics, is the Christian right reached full maturation politically, and it was understood to be a giant and crucial component of any winning coalition for the Republican Party. In 1994, with their influence in Washington growing, Christian conservatives gained a spiritual ally in the fight against Bill Clinton with the appointment of Ken Starr to the office of the Independent Council. Ah, Ken Starr, who is a staunch uh, conservative uh, Christian evangelical himself, or so he says. A little bit more on that as to why that could be questioned a little bit later. Ken Starr was deeply religious. As a boy, he would listen to his father, a minister, rehearse in the family's backyard. And in college, he saved up money for tuition by going door-to-door selling Bibles. Here is Starr. I am an evangelical Christian. I attend a non-denominational church and have for many, many years. And my faith journey calls uh, on me, in the words of uh, the prophet of old, to seek justice, uh, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Starr wasn't shy about discussing his religious beliefs when I interviewed him earlier this month. As an evangelical Christian, I take the teachings of the New Testament seriously and try to live up to those uh, teachings, including the teachings of compassion and kindness and mercy and forgiveness. But he was insistent that his faith played no part in his handling of the Clinton-Lewinsky investigation. I'm a law person who tends to just think of, look, this is my job. It's not, I'm not a spiritual guide or savant. (laughs) I'm not a priest or a rabbi. So I leave all that to others and just focus on what is the charge that I have as a duly appointed law officer. The podcast is called Slow Burn. I urge you to give it a listen. It is fascinating stuff. And I'll just, I'm not going to get into this. I'll just let the, put this out there for you to go look at. To just do any kind of research, even just a wiki search of Ken Starr as the president of Baylor University in the neighborhood of oh, five, six years ago and see the scandals and the salacious, sensationalized mess that was that school and the cover ups 
Trumps and the hiding of information and the overall scandal that this supposed evangelical Christian with moral values was involved in. And I'll just leave that right there. Gotta love me some James Carville. Star's most visible antagonist in the media was Clinton's former campaign manager, James Carville, a flamboyant political consultant from Louisiana. Carville was not on the White House payroll, but when the Lewinsky story broke, he went to bat for Clinton like it was his job. This is a scuzzy investigation. He's so obsessed with the president's sex life. The real Nixonian character in here, and people understand that, is Ken Starr, who was put in there by a political hack to do the jobs of political hacks, and he can't even follow the law. James, James, whoa, whoa, time out. Carville saw Starr's religiosity as a kind of puritanical self-righteousness. He was better than everybody else. He was holier than everybody else. He was very, very, very concerned and would go down to the creek and listen to gospel music as inspiration to stop consensual sex. That's Carville. He talked to me a few months ago while he was driving. That thing he said about Star going down to the creek and listening to gospel music? He made a similar comment back in 98 about how Star was trying to wash the fornicators and the sodomites out of Washington on the Potomac River. The whole thing was one of the great exercises in pure bullshit and the history of the United States. Uh, I love it. There's a whole long another section of a conversation uh, that they the continuing on that phone call that you've got to hear, especially if you are a James Carville fan. So, okay, so he Clinton's in all kinds of trouble. Everything's on fire around him, but why are the polling numbers still showing so well back when polling numbers meant much more than they do now? It seemed absolutely possible in the days after the story broke that Clinton would be forced to resign and Al Gore would be sworn in as president. If indeed the president was guilty of obstruction of justice, I really would think that impeachment would be one of the words to be used. The odds are maybe 60% that his presidency is over and that he'll have to resign within a month or two. But then the poll numbers started coming in. Unexpectedly, the president's job approval ratings are at an all-time high. 79%. The highest since he was first elected. Well, what we need is a few more allegations of problems, and it could go over 100 maybe. And a majority, 54%, think the Starr investigation has political motivations. So White House... It's kind of the same place we're at right now with some people and what we're looking at in Washington and the White House now. People are just not outraged by anything we think they should be, and then f- many people are fake outraged by things we, or often a lot of us, don't think they should be. We'll wrap this up here, go back to Bill Bennett, and I'll explain next why I don't believe a word of this guy because, well, of the climate that we're in right now. Bill Bennett, on the other hand, was horrified. He couldn't believe that Americans were willing to tolerate the president's sins, to give him a pass just because the economy was booming, or to accept the argument that private behavior was unrelated to an elected official's public duty. In a speech at the end of January, Bennett scolded his fellow Republicans for not taking the allegations seriously enough. First, I want to start with some counsel and advice to friends on the right. Stop yucking it up. Stop laughing about it. It's not funny. This is our country. This is our president. As my son, eight years old, said to his mother the other day, why are they laughing? Shouldn't we be mad? The answer to that question is yes, we should be mad. And the unstated fear of many of us is that the moral decline in Washington is not only in Washington, it's outside the Beltway too. We have been lowered down, folks. Those opinion polls are from all over 
the country. I'll check that text message here in a minute. And uh, so that's all the audio I have. I had one more I wanted to get that I found today while I was at the day job uh, doing editing on the audio I already have. And it was from Bill Bennett from about a year and a half ago talking about Trump. And, hey, you want to take any guesses as to who Bill Bennett supports right now? Any guesses? Wild guesses? Anybody? 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 Uh, You, you, you. Take a guess. Yeah, of course. He's a Trump supporter. He's a Trump supporter. So all of this, all this just lip service, all this mess that this guy has, uh, you know, been saying all throughout the 90s clearly wasn't that important because now he's a Trump supporter. Um, So, you know, that's all I need to know about Bill Bennett. And that's just the tiniest, tiniest little microcosm fraction of this entire series, eight-part series, the um, podcast Slow Burn. You need to listen to it. It that If that was all I heard, that wouldn't have changed my opinion of Clinton much. But there's other areas of that show that does. It makes me think that maybe these Clintons are some of the scuzziest, uh, dirtiest politicians that this uh, modern era has ever seen. I'm not sure, but I am now willing to entertain the argument that maybe they are. I am finally getting a new phone this weekend. That means i got to clear anything off of this old piece of junk that I either want to just hear one more time or see one more time or delete or save. And it's time to clear out the voicemail. And I will do that coming up next. annoying than a creative voicemail message. Joe is on a vacation far away. You call him up to talk it over. So many things that you want to say. Leave your message when the beep is over. I don't want to miss your call tonight. It still is true. If you need anything for a rejoin, or at least if I need anything, just Google what I'm looking for. Put in Seinfeld, South Park, or Family Guy, and you're generally going to find whatever it is you need. Welcome back to the show. It is time for a new cell phone. That means it is time to start getting everything off of my phone that I need it is over three years old now. It's maybe right at three years. It's usually in the springtime when I do the uh, re-up right around my birthday, which is uh, two weeks away now, I think. 39 years young. But um, So, yeah, it is going to happen this weekend because the damn thing's just... It's basically not working. I, I, I can't even barely get text messages at times. So, it is time to clear out 
the voicemail here on the not so weekly dose here for the final Friday of March the 29th here and let's just go right to it all right so I've got a handful that have been saved none of these are amazing some of them are a little funny because it's just some of my drunk idiot friends leaving messages that I would just save and I hate voicemail I really don't like it um, my voicemail says uh, leave a message or I'll know I definitely won't call you back or whatever it it's serious but it's like kidding not kidding kind of thing like I, I I don't need a voicemail shoot me a text send me an email if you need me that bad but here we go let's see where is it da, 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 there it is right there and let's dial them up and let's check the past voicemails for the last uh I don't know a couple of years I guess Hey, it's Brian, and while this is not an assurance, but if you do not leave a voicemail, there is no chance that I'll call you back. Thanks. Bye. I mean, it's true. You have 15. I, I won't call you back if you don't leave a message, but I probably won't call you back either way. So. Hey, Brian, this is Tony. <coughs> Excuse me. I met you over at the uh, market uh, here just a while back, and uh, it was for doing a podcast and uh, oh, yeah, I remember the Tony. recovery month. And so I want to just talk to you for a second or two. I had some things that might be interesting for you and might be helpful for you. So uh, if you want to give me a call back, you can. And my callback number is area code 423. Block that out there. No one needs to know that. And I look forward to talking to you. Talk to you soon. Bye. And I, I remember where that was. It was, um, Next it was a guy doing recovery month. Uh, awareness and went from me and him or me helping him to put together a podcast for his awareness to me telling him I'm an alcoholic and he wanted to save my life. <laughs> I was like, I'm not ready to be saved just yet, dude. Right. Right. Hey, seriously, call me back. I got a question for you. Uh, I want to do this Let's Go thing on Saturday, next Saturday. Oh, Brad, some you old buddy Brad. I'll go with you. I just don't want to go by myself. All right, buddy. I don't know why I saved that one. Next message. Ryan, call me. Bye. Uh, message erased. I remember that. Next message. I think the um, FBI has considered your voicemail message entrapment because it forces one to leave a voicemail, which in East Ridge jurisdiction uh, is punishable by um, Uncle Bud's. So that <laughs> makes you leave um, okay. Your uh, area, which is maybe East Ridge, maybe not. It's East Ridge. Uh, but now you have to invest in Uncle Bud's. Invest in Uncle Bud's. Well. No, it won't. It's, it's going to be awful. It will be awful. You're going to lose money. I will definitely lose money. Um, but <laughs> the good news is uh, you, you can always get off of uh, social media anytime you want. Um, and you can play music. Anytime you want. So that's the good news. I hope you're wearing uh, socks and boots and uh, flannel shirts. <laughs> All right, cheers, man. Um, it was good to see you the other day. Um, if you don't know who this is, uh, my name is John Mavity. This is not John Mavity. And uh, you can call <laughs> me back anytime. Message you right. Yeah, there's not an Uncle Buds Next anymore, message. is there? How high telephone wire. Take it, Rod. 
If you are higher than yourself, there's no way you're asleep because you're still pondering life. Message erased. <laughs> Next message. Brian, I just played three of your songs and Same streamed guy. them live on YouTube uh, without your permission. This guy wouldn't know how to stream anything uh, on the YouTube if he tried. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow, but I totally played three of your songs in my version of you uh, on online, and everybody is commenting and liking. Uh, most of them are disliking it somehow uh, because they say your songs are the ones that are good and, and you know, you know how uh, social media works. But um, uh, the very uh, ones that liked it. it was a, there was two people that liked it. So, see you tomorrow. <laughs> this guy I used to play That's guitar great. with, if you haven't figured Next that out by message. now. You have the best voicemail I've ever heard. Um, it's Ryan Fortenberry. Uh, <laughs> please come over and play uh, your shitty songs, and I'll play my shitty songs, and maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle on uh, and, and make a good one. Alright, man. Love you. See ya. Message His songs right. are not shitty. Next Mine were. God damn it! What an asshole you are. <laughs> but I still, I still, I still can't get enough of that uh, voicemail. That's fucking great. <laughs> fucking great. Uh, but yeah, assuredly, get, get, get back in. Uh, uh, assuredly, you're an asshole. Message erased. <laughs> well, maybe that's true. Next I don't know. message. Hey, fucker! It's crazy, Clint. I was uh. Uh, sent you a message earlier uh, to see if you're interested in these modest mouse. This, well, I've got one extra modest mouse ticket if you're wanting to go. Didn't know if you'd be interested or not. You probably can get them free. But uh, if you are interested, let me know. We'll see, you, buddy. They ended up texting me. It was like, oh, when's the show? He's like, next week. It was like three months next later. Message. Hey, it's the River Cuomo. He's got some great ideas about a. Uh, some songs. Uh, it's coming back. Four two three six four five five nine three two. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I think that's uh, message written where I think. Next message. Hey, Mr. Brian. I really like your voicemail. I think that is hilarious. Um, I'm calling. My name is DeAndre Anderson. I'm currently running for school. So I know that might not sound like a big deal, but I'm only nineteen. Cuts out um, right there. This is a really cool um, story that I have, and I really want to share it. And I was just wondering if you let me be on your talk show. Yeah, so that call cut all in and out. Apparently this kid it was running for school council or school board or something, and he was 19 years old, and he got a hold of me, wanted to be on the radio or on the podcast or something, and it cut out, and I couldn't hear it, and it was while I was at Bonnaroo, and then I forgot about it, and then I heard it a long time later, and I hit pause, or excuse me, save, and I hit pause right there. I hit save. And uh, don't remember his name and never got back to him. Sorry, dude. Message erased. Next message. Hey, I found your phone number on uh, oh, sending a stalkers, pedophiles.com. <laughs> hey, man, it's Ballard. Hey, I didn't forget about you. The lady that does the ordering at Pepsi for the week to get our, our drinks and stuff at the warehouse, well, she was gone for, the, for vacation or whatever. So it'd be next Wednesday or Thursday when I make the order. I'll make it that day, pick it up that day. And get you a case out. So a case of uh, either grapefruit or lime, 20-ounce bottles. A case. Don't worry about the price. I'll tell you about it later. 
you can just pay them when you can pay me. So I'll take care of it next week. Haven't forgot about you. Hope you have a good day. By the way, stop dressing like you're fucking homeless. I know you got more money than that, you Jewish <laughs> bastard. Let me call. Bye. Uh, that's my my guy uh, Ballard Kevin that uh, works over at uh, Pepsi and he hooks me up with my bubbly uh, at the dirt cheap price of uh, I can't tell you I'd have to kill you but it is the hookup of hookups especially when you're addicted to sparkling water like I am. Message erased. Next message. Hey man, it's me. Uh, I'll call you tomorrow. I may be out of town. Go get that money. So I may just give you a call Saturday and go out and get a beer or something with you and then get the money. So um, don't worry about it. I just Don't worry about it tomorrow. I'll just call you Saturday and we'll meet up Saturday. You can pay me, pal. Is that what the PayPal is? Yeah, give me a holler. Bye. Almost sounds like we're dealing drugs here or something. Message erased. Next message. Just a couple minutes left. Hey, dickhead, I was just calling you that uh, buddy of mine has got tickets for Rivenhorde and Heat, I guess, next Wednesday. He wants me to go to whatever the hell they're playing at. I haven't seen Reverend Horton Heaton forever. I expect you to see you there, so show up with your wife. I expect to see you. Bye. Show up with my wife. Yeah, I'm not married. Uh, I never got into Reverend Horton Heat at any point. I don't know uh, if, if there was just a little bit of age difference there, but Reverend Horton Heat was never quite my speed. Message erased. Next message. Last one. Hey, Brian, this is Mark Curtis calling from UTC Athletics. reason for my call today is I wanted to reach out and uh, make sure you got the football season ticket renewal information. also wanted to let you know that the spring showcase is this Saturday, March 30th at 1 o'clock over at Finley Stadium. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. My direct line here is 423. I guess I could have given his number. Mark with UTC Athletics. You can reach me at 423-425-5872. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day, and I look forward to speaking with you. And the main reason I left that one in there and just didn't delete it immediately is because I don't remember if I talked about it on the show here, but back when T.O. was being inducted into the the, uh, Football Hall of Fame here at uh, the Roundhouse at McKenzie Arena, I went to that and signed up for or bought one season ticket, one single season ticket, so I could get uh, a signed T.O. poster from that weekend. That was the only reason I did it. I've never paid one dime to go to a mock sporting event in my entire life, and I have been to hundreds of basketball and football games combined since I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Either back then my parents or dad paid for it, or since then I either worked for the radio uh, broadcast companies or I just you know weaseled my way, way in one way or another. So I thought, well, hell, 80 bucks for one ticket for the one season is a tiny price to pay to get a T.O. signed uh, poster. I never got the tickets in the mail. I never got the T.O. poster in the mail. And um, I never followed up on it. So I can't be mad. I can't call them out and be a big jerk about it. But they never sent me the poster. They never sent me the ticket. I didn't go to a game whether I had the tickets or not. I basically paid 80 bucks for a T.O. signed poster, and I didn't get it. And now I'm getting I'm getting calls for renewals. Yeah. No thanks. Coming up next, if this was the new version of the podcast going forward later in the year, where I'm going to try to do some Patreon kind of things with additional content, additional exclusive only um, uh, audio pieces or full shows, this would be one I would save for that if I had that set up now, which I don't. Atlantic recording artist Brent Cobb joins me for a live performance and a conversation, and that is coming up next.
on air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At phillandonair.com. This song is called Black Crow. It is by Brent Cobb featuring Jason Isbell from about two years ago. Might be almost three by now. Mostly comes from a country background, but it's more of that alt country. Kind of new Nashville sound. There gotta be some behind me, Lord, cause I feel I'm doing well. It's my kind of stuff. I love it. Older I get, the more redneck I get when it comes to musical stylings. So I'm not going to waste any more time because i got to wrap this thing up and get it posted for a March 29th download opportunity first thing. uh, The other day, I got an email saying, hey, do you want to do an interview with Brent Cobb live in studio? And it was in the middle of the day when I was at my day job, and I was going to have to kind of push my luck and cut out early and run over and do it real quick and then come back and juggle a bunch of stuff. And I said, you know what? Absolutely. And I'll throw it on the podcast as well. This is my conversation with Brent Cobb live in the studios of Alt 98.7 here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. In the studio with me, Brent Cobb. Uh, Welcome to Chattanooga. I assume you've been, well, let me rephrase that. I know you've been here before because you played here earlier this year, but I assume being a South Georgia boy, you must have been to Chattanooga over the years for a variety of different reasons. Oh, yeah. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me. Definitely. uh, I grew up, my mom's from Cleveland, Ohio, so we kind of grow up riding through here all my life every summer we'd go up to cleveland and we'd come through chattanooga played a bunch of shows over the years here i know you were we here for the new year's was, show yeah i played way back open for old kevin kenny oh my boy uh, uh, from driving and crying yeah man uh i've had many a beer with ago. kevin kenny uh there's been small shows he's played here where there was so few amount of people that he bought the whole uh, the whole bar uh, a round of beers yeah. yeah we uh that was a while it was at rhythm and bruise yeah yeah that, yeah that's still a place it, it is not unfortunately no kidding man. it is not uh it, it kind of where you're playing tonight songbirds is kind of uh taken the place of the old rhythm and bruise that was one of those uh i think the the owners of the building were tired of having allowed a music a venue and kind of pushed it out but yeah rhythm and bruise near and dear to my heart yeah man yeah i've been coming up here doing doing things like that for a while now so uh south georgia is where you're raised somehow you ended up in uh los angeles then to nashville now i understand you're back in uh in, in georgia for the most part is that right that's right yeah i spent about 12 years uh going from L.A. to back to Georgia and then Nashville for 10 years. And then, yeah, we actually live in Cobb, Georgia. No relation. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to bounce around a little bit here. I want to – when it comes to country music these days, it's, it's, it's become so difficult. Would you just say country music? That, it's too, that's too Pretty wide broad, open. It's yeah. too wide open. And uh, Americana's come into the, the, to the more popular terminology. Uh, Alt country, country rock, all kinds of different variations. A lot of it I like. A lot of it I don't as much. A, a friend of mine, local uh, band here in town, they have uh, shirts they make up. They give out at their shows. It says, I wish I wore it today. Pop country sucks. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a great shirt. I know most people, you know, musicians don't like to just say, what do you what do? You do? What do you sound like? What, what would you classify it as? But I, I'm obligated to ask you. Of course. 
What uh, would you? What where would you put it in? And what would you What would you like it to be considered? As? I don't know. I mean, I think country music. You could call it southern music. Uh, what I do is kind of rural. Again, I don't know how to describe it either, man. Just regular old music. Well, it's, it's kind of—I mean—it kind of falls into the to the southern thing, I guess. And, sure. and and there's there's different variations of the southern thing. I'd put Kevin Kenny and Driving and Crying right Straight there in the middle. Straight up, man, Godfather. Right there yeah. in the southern thing. The widespread Panic and the Almond Brothers—they they do the southern thing too. Yeah. But you've got bands like Leonard Skinner, which I was a huge fan of growing up. Still am, technically. I love Skinner. Dude. And and then you have Blackberry Smoke, which you played with plenty, which I, I tend to think is the the this era's version of of Leonard Skinner, kind of that party mm-hmm. time rock and roll, not being too serious. Sometimes can be a little, you know, yeah, such great songwriting in there too. Yeah, in, oh. Incredible. And then you have the Drive By Truckers, which yeah. are basically like a Southern goth. They're 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 history lesson in every single absolutely song. And so you you tend to I, I've been listening to you know giving a few albums a few spins here recently. Do you? Do you do a lot of storytelling that's that's always near and dear to your heart, or do you sometimes tell stories that you uh, that you just kind of make up? Yeah, I, yeah. Some of them kind of fall out of the sky. I don't really know. I try not to think about it too much. You know, I try to tell a good story. Yeah. If it's true, it's true. I think most stories, if they're told right, they come from some form of the truth. Sure. You know. Well, speaking of which, I was listening to uh, your latest Providence Canyon. Almost a year now since that album's been released. Yeah, almost. And um, ran into the uh, to the king of Alabama, yeah. Wayne uh, Mills. Yes, is that right? Tell me that story. I read a little bit about that. That speaking of true stories or things that are just kind of uh, right. telling yeah. stories. That, tell, a, tell me about that. Absolute true story. It's uh, so Wayne Mills was this guy. If you've never heard any of his music, you should look him up. The last record he ever put out was called "The Last Honky Tonk." Okay, and he was sort of a troubadour, you know. I consider him. I consider him to be the king of Alabama. There are many folks worthy of that crown. Sure. However, Wayne uh, played for Alabama football. He uh, people like Jamie Johnson used to open shows for Wayne. Uh, Blake Shelton even used to open shows. Dirks Bentley, for I Wayne. see there Dirks as well. Bentley, bunch of folks. He, uh, when I moved to Nashville in '08, he was one of the first people that kind of took me under his wing, introduced me to a lot of people. You know, had me come out and write and and, and play writers' rounds and. Just this mountain of a dude, just South Alabama boy. You yeah. Know? And uh, he was uh, the night of the George Jones tribute show in Nashville. Uh, he and a few others went to the tribute show and performed. And afterwards, they go to this bar. It's called the Pit and Barrel at the time. It was the night before the grand opening of this bar. And they were all hanging out. And uh, something happened. And this bar owner, uh, who was sort of a friend of all of ours, kind of, he, uh, he wound up shooting Wayne, and uh, and he kills him. Just a drunken bar I fight of there. sorts? I wasn't there, but, you know, knowing Wayne, and, and according Somebody to— Somebody showing their ass a little bit, maybe? Maybe a little. I mean, Wayne was no small man. I yeah. mean, he wasn't completely tame all the time, but he was a good-hearted person, and this other guy was kind of crazy. And uh, I think it probably—they said it was because Wayne lit a cigarette in the bar, but— Apparently, they had all been kind of smoking in this bar anyway. And so when everybody leaves, all the famous friends leave, this guy tells Wayne, he can't smoke in the bar, man. It's night before the grand opening. And Wayne was probably like, I can't smoke in your bar. I know oh, yeah. all your famous friends are gone. <laughs> and uh, Watch this. Yeah, and I guess it escalated. But he left behind a 
seven-year-old son wow. and a wife, and it just kind of crushed me because my wife was pregnant with our daughter at the time, yeah. and I knew how much Wayne loved his son. And so two days after all of this happened, I started writing the King of Alabama. I had the first verse and the chorus. and um, Which is on the Providence Canyon record. On, yep, and uh, I wound up. It took about a year, really, to nail it down, but I got Adam Hood, who's going to be with us. Uh, yeah, for the uh, next couple shows. Right. Um, he, uh, I, I called him because he's a friend of mine. He knew Wayne very well, and I asked him if he'd like to finish it with me. So when we got done, I thought, man, how cool would it be to add Wayne's son, Jack, as a co-writer to it? Because we never would have wrote this song had I not been thinking about Jack. Sure. And uh, we got a hold of his mom. And we didn't want to be insensitive, and we didn't want it. It's not we didn't want it to seem like we were exploiting something, you know. And uh, she loved the song, and we were able to add him as a co-writer to it. So any little bit that it makes, a third of so it, so he'll get some uh, royalties off of that. Into his dad's old publishing company, which he inherits. Wow, that's cool. A couple of the uh, videos from that uh, record are really neat. The animated uh, videos. Thanks, man. It's a uh, it's a different kind of uh, animation. If <laughs> You have to be of a certain age to remember Dr. Katz, uh, <laughs> professional therapist, uh, Comedy Central animation wow. uh, show back in the 90s. That's what it, it reminds me of, the Very way the similar. animation I is. I think of that. Yeah. It is, it's, it's not as squiggly, if mm-hmm. you remember the show, but sure. it, it's just, yeah. it just, it, that's what the first thing I thought. And the uh, the, the Morning's Gonna Come video I, I, it was the first one that grabbed my eye. I thought that was really cool. And then uh, the, is the King of Alabama? That was an animated one as it well. Was, yep. Yeah, yeah. So I had a little series of them. I really liked that uh, that that animation. Your um, cousin is Dave Cobb. That's correct, right? Mm-hmm. I know uh, several people who've worked with him in Nashville personally, and then I've interviewed Anderson East earlier this year, who's done a lot of work with him, and now is bulling a bunch of the power mm-hmm. players in oh, Nashville. Yeah. Um, I, he's uh, older than than both of us. When did you realize that you had a uh, a potential family member that was th- th- that could help you with your music? Was it was because I think you were sixteen? Yeah, I was seventeen one day when you I met, met him. him. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, did you know who you were meeting at that time? I guess is my question. On the way to the funeral, his grandmother had died. We we're all musical in my family, and we would heard that he was a record producer in L.A. And it was kind of strange because we had never you know, heard of this cousin, and we're all musical. Yeah. And so when we get there, I just asked Dave what he had produced, and he said Shooter Jennings put the O back in country, which was my favorite album at that time. Yeah, him and Shooter were real tight for still are, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and in my opinion, I mean, there's there's been a lot of things that came before that and stuff, but in, in our era, I think that record kind of started all of what we're seeing now with the whole alternative side of country, you know, kind of the cool side of country. Is that what you would consider? I've heard the Nashville sound thrown around. I mean, I know that's what Isbel named his last uh, record. Is is that a thing? I mean, is is that a thing, or is that just some of us hearing the Nashville sound? Is I that that's that the new? Nashville sound is whatever is popular. I think coming out of Nashville at any given time. Yeah, is that a little more generic, generic than I guess I've I've heard I, it just in different. I don't know. I'm talking social media and where people are talking out yeah, their ass half the time anyway. I don't know. I don't think too much about it, but I, I understand the question. I think uh, playing with uh, Isabel, I've I've known him. Uh, now, nah, I, I I might rephrase that. I've spent a lot of time with him when he when we were really young when he played small shows, rhythm and blues, places sure. like that. Um, once upon a time, I could have considered, I could have almost convinced him that we were almost friends. <laughs> that was like 15 years ago. Um, and the first show that, because I was always a Truckers fan, and so when he was doing a little solo run, 
about 2003, probably. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to see him. He was opening for Will Hogue, who I still think uh, is out there playing. uh, That was incredible. Yeah, and he was opening that show, and it might have been one of his first shows, uh, solo. And uh, that would have made, we're the same age, I'm making about 23 years old. And there was literally 12 people there. Like 12, count of them. And... um, I've, and I've played in front of, I play a little guitar here and there. I played in front of nobody. Surely you've played to rooms that are very similar to that. Oh, yeah. What keeps you going? How do you keep, how, when, you're, when you're starting off and, you're, and you feel like, it's like, well, like, oh, is this microphone on? Yeah. <laughs> Can I, anybody hear this? I don't know, man. I, I wonder, I even wonder, you know, to this day, I've said it's taken me 13 years to get to the bottom. I'm just glad to be here, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think it's because I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else I would do. Yeah. So. Well, I'll let you get out of here in just a, a minute or two. A couple, one more about Dave. What what does uh what does he know? What does he do? How does he get it? Like, what does he do that makes everybody want to work with him right now? He's I don't know. He's uh he's oh, as long as I've known him, he's done exactly the same thing, which is he just knows how to naturally record music, and it's really refreshing. He doesn't. He, I mean, he kind of dictates in the studio a little bit, but only because he's a great musician. Does he so play with people him. often, yeah. or does he just usually just use his yeah, brain? It, de- it depends on the you know band, but you know, I know on those shooter records, he's all over the acoustic rhythm, and on my records, he's a lot of acoustic rhythm, and he just he enjoy, he's part of the band when you go in the studio with him. You know, he's not. He's not just the producer standing back there behind the board. He sure, to be involved. When you first um, when you first moved out to L.A. and you were doing, uh, you signed a, a, a writer, a songwriting contract or, in, or, in Nashville. I was that in Nashville? Mm-hmm. You did you did a lot of music for Luke Bryan. You've written for Kenny Chesney, Miranda mm-hmm. Lambert, uh, Little Big Town. These are obviously pretty big names that most people have heard of. How does that process go when you're trying to write for somebody else? Like, is that something where you really, where you really actually, it's like a job, like you're working, or it's? It, I think it's different for everybody. For me, it's. I mean, first when you when you do sign a publishing deal and you go that route, you know that music rogue songwriter route that Willie Nelson took and Roger Miller and Chris Christopherson and all those heroes. Yeah, they, you know, you kind of yeah, you do go in at ten thirty in the morning. You meet somebody you never met before that's also a writer, and then you write till three, and it's it's a it can feel pretty strange and foreign. Yeah, it's a and I mean, it's a job. It's a job. It's like you're clocking in and clocking totally. out. But uh, and some people love that. I've never been a huge fan of it. I, um, I wouldn't think that the 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 musicians that I know, whether they're you know do well or not, that mm-hmm. that are just true to writing for themselves, they never. I've never talk to many that would really be enjoy doing that like on a full-time basis sure once you get in and, and you kind of start doing it and you, you can kind of separate the it's i don't know i've never been stingy with my songs sometimes they feel too personal you know if they are too personal i just write them by myself i'm not obligated to write anything with anybody you know so i, I just feel fortunate to be there luckily for me i've never had to really change what i write in order to get something recorded by a bigger artist than myself some people choose to write for a specific artist. For I'm gonna, this dude's looking to, or this gal's looking for a cut, and here's, gonna, exa- here's basically what they want. And right. can you just do that? that? And people are good at that. I'm terrible. At I that. would think that would be very, yeah, very uh, difficult. It's uh, not, and it, yeah, it's just not fun. And um, but yeah, for me, I have not had to do that. Well, you're gonna play a song for mm-hmm. us. Uh, if that's, that's still a thing, I'd appreciate it. One more though, a Grammy nomination for your first. 
uh, full-length record. What kind of uh, wild ride must that have been? And how how does that process go? How do you find out about that? And and how does how are your feelings as you as you hear you're being nominated amongst uh, who who was nominated that year? Jason Isbell was not nominated. Greg Allman. You go in knowing you're probably not going to get the Grammy. And uh, well, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, well, you're one of five, though. Uh, you also the Mavericks and Iron and Wine as dude, well. Yeah, it was uh, it was incredible to just go there, you know. And it was at it was at Madison Square Garden, so it was in New York, and uh, it was my wife's first trip to New York ever. Okay, it's first time going. We go to the Grammys, and uh, it was amazing. It was also I'm I, I'm a, a smoker sometimes, and you can't smoke anywhere at the Garden. So when we yeah. when our portion of the Grammys were over. Me and my wife got the hell out of there. We're like, man, let's go back to the hotel and throw some regular clothes well, on. Well, it's boring as hell. Show if it doesn't have anything to do with you, I wouldn't want to be there. But uh, so is it because I just pure ignorance. The winners don't know they've won until their name is called. Is that true? I don't know. I've never been a winner. Okay, I just wondered because I, I mean, if, if I if if it ever happens again, I'll let you know that. <laughs> okay, but they didn't call you and tell you you're not a winner. They didn't let me know I was not a winner. Okay, well, you're a winner in my book. Thanks, uh, man. I appreciate it. Uh, we got some probably uh, maybe some people hanging out here wanting to shake your hand and take some pictures with you, so I'm going to let you get out of here. If you would play a song for me for the Stone on Air podcast and Alt 98.7, we would very much appreciate it. Live on the show is Brent Cobb. Cool. Any requests? Uh, I'm not big, big on names. How about how about the um, morning's gonna come? All right. How about morning's gonna come? Man, they got the great it, video. Make it, make it tough on me right here. Great video out there to check out too, uh, YouTube and anywhere else. Look at old barefoot shuffling across the outdoor dance floor like he ain't got no sense. His new girlfriend found her pretty good fella, I guess. She's into rednecks. Oh my, no lie. Y'all better hold on tight. We got a lot of ice cold cheap beer flowing around here. Lord, wish we had all night. But the morning's gonna come. And it won't be no fun for anyone Watch out for miss coming up to you Leaning up on you Wanna take you home tonight She got herself a six foot fiver Mack truck driver Coming in hot and he loves to fight Oh my, no lie she put it on you in a minute in her double wide cheetah print silk sheet queen size. It's so cozy while you're in it. But the morning's gonna come, and it won't be no fun for anyone's son. songwriter singer
Yeah, the morning's gonna come And it won't be no fun for anyone Bridge Cobb live on Alt 98.7 and the Stone On Air podcast. I kept you for way longer than I said. I appreciate it. Oh, and I and right as you said, making it hard on you as a guitar player. I realized I just made it hard on you. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean for you to have to go back and forth, finger picking and pick at the oh, same time. Oh man, it's all good. Uh, I, I should just learn better. You know? I've come to terms with. I'm only a songwriter, really. It's it's early in the day, technically, for a, a, a musician. So having you know, have to finger pick so much that oh, quickly. Man. I appreciate it, man, a lot. Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. And that's it. That's all I got. I appreciate you guys and gals. If you made it all the way to the end, I know it was a little long this week. Um, this is an example of why this podcast is hard to do every week because it's a lot of layers. If I'm going to do it, I like to try to do as good a job as I can. But with that interview, it's another example of I, I can do interviews okay. I'm just not that good at them. I need to get better. I need to do more. Uh, it's just like anything else. If you don't do whatever it is you're trying to get better at often, it's difficult to get better at it. But uh, hopefully that was enjoyable. I enjoy doing it anyway. So y'all take care. Appreciate it so much. Be back in the middle of April. Try to get this thing back to it every Wednesday download destination. All right. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great one. Talk to you soon. Bye.